Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us on this Friday, Erev Shabbos at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Yes, good morning. Hope everything went well in Riverdale, New York. It was great. There were wonderful people, wonderful turnout, had some great neck and everywhere. And in Lakewood. Oh boy, you're getting around, to say the least. I got a visa. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, a big week. On Monday, we were wishing everybody a Yom Embassy Sameach. We thought it was uh, as worthy a uh, a celebratory day as any other great day in modern Jewish history. Uh, Malcolm, what were your impressions when you saw the ceremony, the uh, the incredible unveiling of the brand new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem? Well, I think that it was, uh, we were witnesses to history. I had the privilege of seeing it in the White House where they had a special event uh, in um, and put up on big screens and had Congress members of Congress and others invited. Uh, and it was uh, certainly a celebratory atmosphere, people recognizing the stark nature of that moment and the fulfillment of uh, the, the of a commitment by the president, but more importantly, of the legislative intent of the members of Congress in 1995 to move the embassy to recognize Jerusalem and to to the, as Israel's capital, and that an historic injustice was was righted. Nothing changed on the ground. The next morning, everybody woke up and realized that everything that had been said uh, was true. That we, this was not prejudging anything. This was simply an establishment of of a fact that. The United States recognizes Jerusalem, is in West Jerusalem, and that an existing building, in fact, was was used to uh, to be the temporary uh, housing of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Although the, as I said, the vast majority will would stay in Tel Aviv because it'll take many years to build a facility that would accommodate so many people and the the various functions that are fulfilled there. And and note that afterwards. There were no demonstrations in the Arab world, except for the PA and uh, and people now saying that Hamas and the demonstrations in Gaza, were not, which were not related to it or, or, or attributing it to it. It's not true. You know, they can say that it was exacerbated by it, but even that, I think, is a stretch because we now know how organized these were and how much preparation went into it, how they... Uh, um, used new tactics, so it was unrelated to the move of the embassy. This was uh, uh, demonstrations and things that were planned uh, before we knew what day the embassy move would even take place. Right, understood. Uh, but well, but they didn't just luck out. Once it was announced, I'm sure they they stepped up their their target their target. I'm sure they stepped up the efforts and recruited more and funded more and you know tried to make it as uh, as violent as possible. Well, people have different uh, elements, had different motivation here. I do not believe that the, the embassy, had the embassy not been moved, that we would not have had these demonstrations in the same intensity. This was Iran pouring money into Hamas to do this because it's a diversion. Hamas wanted the diversion because of the internal situation in Gaza is so, has deteriorated so much and, and the economic situation, et cetera. So they, 
you know, pull the tension away from the realities that people face day to day and try to get them deflected into this event. And yet the turnouts were consistently much lower, less than half of what they had anticipated and dwindled most of the time until they were busing people and, and in a uh, particular order where they would have uh, demonstrators, people who came to express their frustrations, whatever, near the border first, then behind them what could be called the rioters, you know, the people they knew would, would be engaged in more uh, violent expressions, and then behind them were the Hamas guys shooting and, and uh, firing at, at the Israeli soldiers, knowing that they would draw the fire back on them. Uh, and because the Israeli uh, snipers were so effective that they could pull off uh, and take out the guys who were really responsible, even though the Hamas then admitted that the vast majority, 50 out of the 60 killed on, on Monday, were Hamas operatives, Hamas terrorists. Right. And that was true of every day, that the vast majority of those killed were activists of Hamas. Did a few people get caught in the crossfire? Absolutely. Whose fault was it? Hamas. But the the escalation and how, how long that they would have, they wanted really to continue this, I think was, was uh, planned long in advance. It was Egypt's intervention that is being said to have uh, forced Hamas to, to start to back off and to stop the uh, mobilization. And the people themselves, the, the people in Gaza, the vast majority of them had nothing to do with it. Well, if, that, if that's the case, then I'm assuming today is is much quieter and calmer than earlier days this week. Yes. And, and every day. Yesterday, I think, uh, the, the, um, Tuesday was less than 1,300. And now I don't think any in particular. There was no reports of, uh, I mean, and, and people don't want to die. People, you know, they, they can excite them. You have a few people who want to be martyrs. But frankly, if you look at some of the movies of the bodies that were laid out for display for the media, you can see them moving. You see them talking to the people underneath the sheets. I mean, this is a mockery. And, and the whole thing that that uh, that has taken place, that people fall for the Hamas lies, as they did for Hezbollah, as they do for other terrorists, and are so ready to gang up on Israel, to join the campaign, the Human Rights Council is meeting now, calling for investigation. What's to investigate? You have people trying to cut through an international border. All these countries that say, we want the 67 borders, 67 borders, are, are not willing to defend the 67 borders. Israel is there. You hear people at NPR and elsewhere talk about the occupation, the occupation which doesn't exist and they they came with wire cutters Hamas people showed it and they and they are uh, you know boasted about the goal was to cut through to get into the Israeli side to take hostages to kill to to uh, go back to their villages and who knows what to do to get their great-grandparents homes we know the vast majority are not really refugees. There is a, a, a report of the UN that's being suppressed that says the real number of, of refugees is 30,000 and today, because these are derivative generations, and the, the, you know, the way the media is portraying this, and, and even in Israel, the media put shifting the onus onto the spokespeople for, for the IDF. There's nothing the IDF could have done. They could have stood in their heads. There was nothing that they could do that would have made much of a difference with a media that just immediately jumps on the side of, of the terrorists, doesn't consider that there isn't a single country in the world that would allow this situ situation to obtain. 
all the countries that are building fences and borders to protect their, their borders and, and their mainland, Israel simply protected its citizens. There was no option. Nobody had an idea. Did they try? They, people are saying now, why didn't they use water cannons? Because they did use water cannons. Why didn't they use smoke? They used smoke. Why didn't they use the, the uh, drones with uh, tear gas? They used them. And they but also, it didn't work. And they also dropped leaflets warning them to get out of the way. And consistently warning them what, what the response would be, telling them. So these are not innocent victims. These are people who warned, were warned, understood exactly what, what uh, they were engaged in. Many of them, I think, forced to, to do it. Some were paid to do it. And, uh, and we know that Iran uh, w- was um, supplying additional cash for, for it to happen. So Hamas, Iran, the PA, they're all resp- – if, in fact, I'm associating what you've told us in the past with this episode, they've basically – they're basically responsible for the supply uh, the supply chain stopping into the Gaza area because you've told us that, you know, water, medical supplies, other things provided by Israelis, you know, are, are brought into that area when, when it's peaceful times or when it's quiet. Let's put it that way. I assume even, that – Even I, when it wasn't quiet – Israel sent in every day tons of food, medicines, 53 uh, uh, um, 53 trucks of food were turned away, were turned away at Karen Shalom. When Israel was sending, letting them go through into Gaza, they were turned back. The 14 trucks of medicines and medical equipment was allowed in, and you can be sure that Hamas is selling it and, and collecting on it, but the food stuff was turned back. Now, you tell me what is the rationale behind that, that they're willing to let people starve, that they're willing to deny them the food in order to create these false impressions, as with everything else. And, and some of it being caught on tape, and you see it as on, the, uh, on the Internet now about, as I told you, the fake bodies, which is something we saw years and years ago, and, the, the, um, um, and, and Karen Shalom itself. They came and they rioted there. They, they cut the fuel lines. They did uh, a lot of damage to the infrastructure in Israel, yet maintained it open. They are trying to repair the fuel lines. But, but they're cutting off the sustenance for their own people as part of this. Um, you, we keep hearing about uh, people, young people, and others who want money, frankly, being paid to, uh, to engage in these protests and get as close to the border as possible. Silly question, maybe, but but do they literally hand out cash? Like, is this how it works? That they they simply go around and recruit people by offering them money? Of course. Simple as that. Simple as that. And they people. This is not the first time. It's not the and it won't be the last time where they you know because everything is based on a kleptocracy. Everything is uh, in the whole region between the PA and in, in the West Bank, in Gaza. And that's why people are sick and tired of it. That's why the, they've lost the goodwill that they had in the Arab countries, because they look at the billions of dollars that were poured in there, and they say, where has all this gone? And now Hamas, looking to cover for its own shortcomings and and protect the kleptocracy that it has, and because a lot of the countries you know, cut them off and try to give the money directly to projects instead of to them. But you saw it even with the import of cement, humanitarian cement, they called it at the time, that Israel then allowed it to go in. And we know that it gets diverted to tunnels. Another one was found last week, and, and huge amounts go into, um, into this. The, the Iranians, 
the justice-seeking student movement in Iran, offered a reward of $100,000 to anybody who blows up the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Wow. So are they being paid? Yes, they're being paid. Wow. And it's not new. It's not something that we see for the, for the first time. And, uh, and when left to their own devices, believe me, most of the people would rather work, would rather feed their families, would rather be living in a, in a more peaceful environment. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. I know that um, it, 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 it's likely pointless uh, to complain to you about the following, but it just it, it is so disturbing to me, and I don't know, and to so many others, and I don't know how to react. When you see members of our own community and commentators who are from, some of them from survivor families, out there condemning Israel the way they are and making outrageous claims. And if you've seen the video, a, a campus where, where, where Jewish kids don yarmulkes and talitot and then say Kaddish with names of all the Gaza victims. It is it's 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 a it's a level of absurdity that I know repeats itself each and every time. But as you know, and you can hear in my voice, it's so frustrating to all of us. Where have we gone wrong that young people in our community are going? I am not you know questioning the Tselamelo Kim element of everybody on this planet, but to go ahead and and memorialize those who have declared they want to murder every Jew around. It is obscene. It is a, a sad commentary uh, about the level we have reached. Part of it is because we have not done the job we should collectively uh, to educate our young, not when they're 18 and off going off to campus, but to inoculate them throughout their years, giving them the facts, letting them know so they can be confident in standing up. There is a, you know, the mood now in, in, on campus. And if they would just look at the facts, don't don't come out because you're a Zionist or, or but but look objectively at the facts of what of what we see and the the um, connections that exist between these terrorists and their their involvements and the um, uh, the fact that that every day there are revelations about the money that that is being um, sent by by Iranian fronts and why the new sanctions against the central bank because they found that of Iran because they find out that they're taking U.S. dollars to blacklisted uh, the Quds forces and to uh, other terrorist entities that the, uh, the the level of their repression in their own country which is astounding the uh, the murder that they are engaged in, the very people they're defending, that they're standing up to, who are engaged, Hamas, Hezbollah, are, are terrorist organizations who suppress their own, who kill their own, let alone engaging in terrorist attacks, attacks and uh, threats uh, globally and regionally. So it's not because they have facts. It's they get incited to, to these actions, and we try to understand it it's it is relatively small numbers you know australia can blame hamas for it other countries around the world blame hamas for it even during the united nations right. uh, debate and thank god nikki haley uh, the united states blocked uh, a security council statement calling for an investigation because <laughs> there's nothing to investigate and and put the onus clearly on hamas 
and uh, said it was a gruesome, unfortunate propaganda attempt and f- for which people pay, again, with their lives. And, they, you know, they're talking about a right to return. They're talking about old lines going back, you know, 60, 70 years, which are no longer relevant and which they tried to, to resurrect, as, a, as I said, as a, as a diversion. And, uh, and they would know how, how this was planned, how they exploited the people, how they are willing to use live human fodder and, and have human shields to send children and women to, to, to die. And, uh, and that, in fact, Israel acted with restraint. I spoke to, to ambassadors. I met a president of a country this week. I spoke to many people, um, uh, Muslims, uh, observers, including Arabs, and most of them blame Hamas and, and recognize the fact that this is, uh, um, that they are responsible uh, for the violence and that Israel has not the right to defend itself, as some said. They have the obligation to defend themselves. So you're right. We saw on campuses uh, these activities. We've seen, uh, and, and no doubt we will see a rise in attacks in Europe and elsewhere. The um, University of Heidelberg yesterday, by the way, rejected a BDS effort, hmm. and so did some others in Europe, which are major universities, which is important. But the mood there and the consistency of the of the anti-Semitic uh, expressions and attacks is certainly increasing. You know, England, France, Britain, every day there's at least four attacks in each of those countries reported against Jews. The vast majority in France, their Jews are 1% of the population and 40% of the attacks are against them. So the, the you know, people talk about Islamophobia, but they don't realize that anti-Semitism far exceeds the number of attacks against um, Muslims, which are not acceptable either. And the you know, there's so much distortion and misrepresentation. It is almost impossible sometimes to to listen to the news reports and the one-sided reports that um, the media, public media, especially, uh, which uh, you know should be accountable given the fact that the public is supporting it, as opposed to regular commercial radio. And then there's the uh, the Hollywood honchos, or or as I call it now, the Bette Midler stupidity. Making statements that were completely uneducated, not knowing any of the issues, and simply uh, condemning Israel without any, without any, uh, without any background, without any knowledge of what's really going on there. Exactly, they they have they pontificate, they are able to express themselves, which they have a right to do. But at least it should be an educated uh, expression, and that people should derive the conclusion about what is. What is right for them to do as a result? Oh, and then I have to ask you, well, you just mentioned the media. Uh, I, I, we made a major issue of this this week, and many of our guests cited it as well. The Daily News uh, uh, front page on Tuesday after uh, Ivanka Trump unveiled the uh, the embassy seal at the ceremony on Monday. I'm sure you saw that front page cover. I mean, I don't think outrageous is frankly a strong enough word for that. I, I agree fully. I, I saw it a couple hundred times, I think, in all the emails <laughs> I got of it and uh, messages about it. it. You know, to put Ivanka Trump on the front page and to call her daddy's little ghoul oh. is is disgusting and, and inappropriate and unacceptable. But then to say that, 50, that Israel slaughtered 55 people in Gaza, slaughtered people who are attacking... And the Daily News of New York paper can say these this outrageous 
um, allegation, charge. Think of what, what, what the response could be. People pick up a newspaper and they see that Israel slaughtered 55 people. And now they're saying, you know, their children died, not so much of it, which is mythology. I'm sure there were some who died because they were put there in in harm's way. There was a guy in a, in a wheelchair pulled up, uh, pushed up to the front. And when he, he could see that he was getting uncomfortable and resisting, and all of a sudden he got up and walked away from the, the wheelchair. And the so the, this is all staged. It's all fake news. It's all outrageous, but for them to engage in it. And if people didn't, whoever read it and whoever sent it, I told them, it's your obligation. Make your voice heard to the Daily News. Let them know. Newspapers today are on the edge. They don't have circulation. People you know, have turned to other means of, of uh, communication on, on the Internet and, and in, uh, in other ways that where they get their news, not from the printed papers. So they, they are sensitive to this. But they've got to make your voice heard. It's, it's not a question of whether they have a right to criticize Israel. They have the right. Israelis criticize Israel, too. But this is outrageous. Also a good opportunity, then, to remind everybody that uh, if they have not yet called the White House, 202-456-1111, uh, everyone who's uh, in favor of this uh, embassy move and enjoyed this week and understands the importance of it in the context of Modern Jewish history and Jewish history in general should contact the uh, White House and express appreciation uh, for what the president, uh, in fact, did this week. And um, it, it seems it seems that, uh, well, obviously the president of the United States, this wouldn't have happened without him, but the vice president had a major contribution to all this. It was extremely important to him, it seems, that this happened, that the embassy be moved. And uh, frankly, Ambassador David Friedman is getting... Uh, Tremendous accolades for his work behind the scenes. Also extremely important to him that this happened. And some of the people, and by the way, this can remind you and others of the establishment of the State of Israel 70 years ago. When the majority of people uh, in that room with Ben-Gurion were not in favor of founding a state. But five minutes after it was declared, all of a sudden hopped on the bandwagon. There were people, Malcolm, and I'm sure you can confirm this, that were at that ceremony who fought against this move. And then, of course, you know, supported it once it happened. So those who really worked for it and made it happen need to be acknowledged. Well, first of all, I agree with you about all the people you mentioned, Ambassador and others. Uh, I did see Vice President Pence. He was truly celebratory uh, of the outcome. Wow. He spoke at the embassy, had an event, the Israeli embassy on Monday night, a reception for the Israel 70th, and then uh, also uh, they had 70 for 70 where they gave medals to those who contributed to the creation of the state and celebrating the 70th anniversary. I accepted one uh, for the Jewish organizations and their contribution to it. Uh, most of the people named are no longer with us, but it was very important uh, symbolically and a beautiful recognition. Uh, so, And the vice president is deeply committed. Uh, John Bolton, deeply committed. Pompeo, deeply committed. Nikki Haley, Dick deeply committed to this and to the sustaining the U.S.-Israel special, special relationship. I had a chance to talk to, to many of them, and, and uh, there's no diminution. This is not, you know, the end game that, that they move the embassy, but a continuing part of the of U.S. policy to strengthen the ties uh, with Israel. And the 
the criticism, you know, the, the, the 95 legislation, which now so many people take credit for, <laughs> uh, I could tell you how many of those very same people did not support us when we did it and we worked and Senator Moynihan, who does not get mentioned and deserves. You know whose uh, name came up a lot this week in conversations about this here? Bob Dole. I didn't realize Bob Dole's role in all this. Bob, Bob Dole was supportive of the leadership of both houses. Remember the vote right. in the Senate was 90 to zero. Right. And and even President Clinton deserves recognition because I went to him about it, and he assured us that he would not veto the the legislation that if it passed. So because you know he could have a pocket veto, but he said he would not, and that uh, and allowed it to become law. And we had an event in the rotunda, and Prime Minister Rabin, who had promised me when I told him we were pushing for this legislation, he said, "If you get it passed, I will come." And the night before the vote, I called him. And I said, you remember the promise you made? Well, tomorrow the vote's going to take place, and we're going to try and do an event. And once I had the date, we called him, and he said, I promised, and I'm going to fulfill the promise. And he got on a plane, and he came, and he told me it was one of the great days of his life. And unfortunately, his life was not to be much longer because uh, he was assassinated not long after that. Right, but later that year, right? And and he told me at on the occasion in the rotunda with a Hundreds of members of Congress and, and leaders, he said, this is one of the greatest days of my life. And he gave a speech about my Jerusalem that was very personal and so moving. And Moynihan uh, participated. I spoke there. I know Shoshana Cardin, the chairperson of the conference. We had the, the uh, leaders of both houses. It was an amazing event. And and it, people really thought then that we'd actually get to see the, the, the well, the recognition of, of United Jerusalem as the capital of Israel was in and of itself a tremendous achievement. But we had hoped that the embassy, and they built in the waiver because of presidential prerogative, uh, and now finally President Trump decided not to exercise the waiver and to move ahead in all the threats of what this would do to America's standing in the region and all the rest came to naught. Well, with this, and, and that was seriously a beautiful description of the the bipartisan nature uh, in Washington at that time of the uh, Jerusalem Embassy Act, the uh, Jerusalem Act. Um, with that in mind, it must have been disappointing to you. And I'm sorry for asking you a quote unquote political question because I know it's sensitive. Yeah. It must have been disappointing to you that not one member of the Demo- of the active Democratic Party was in attendance in Jerusalem. Look, I think Jerusalem is and should be a bipartisan issue. Israel should be a bipartisan issue. We do not want to see any divisions along ideological or political lines, and that's why we work very hard to shore up support in some of the weaker flanks of of the Democratic Party in particular, because the Republican Party support is is pretty strong. But amongst the Democratic members of of, uh, the House and Senate, it is still very strong. I don't know who was invited. There are Democratic members who say that they were invited to the event in the White House or in Jerusalem. So somebody has to find out what the truth is about it. But remember that they voted for it and they supported it. And uh, many of them made speeches in, uh, in favor of it. If they decided to opt out for political reasons, I think it's regrettable. We cannot allow Israel to become uh, a partisan issue or a political football between the parties. We want everybody's support. We need to sustain it. As much as we're euphoric about this moment, you look at the challenges on the horizon and the need to sustain the aid to Israel, the, um, all the special uh, relationship aspects between them, 
and it's not something you can take for granted. All right, a um, couple of minutes left before we ask Rabbi Yudin to speak about the next three days. Um, so first, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the of of the uh, Iran deal situation. So now, what is the status of U.S. sanctions against Iran? What uh, companies and countries are participating? What is happening now that wasn't happening, uh, you know, two weeks ago? Well, first of all, uh, sanctions are being, quote, snapped back, which means that they are developing sanctions against various countries. You saw that Total, which said it would never withdraw the, the French uh, energy company, announced that they're pulling out of a major, major investment in in Iran. And I think many others will follow suit that they, they have to face the choice of doing business with the U.S. or doing business with Israel. Well, they're going to do, I mean, the United States, they're going to do right. business with the United States. When the, the administration uh, sanctioned the central bank of Iran, very important because they're using the money, they're laundering money that goes to terrorist organizations. The um, There will be additional sanctions, both about companies, but also against foreign companies, that are continuing to do business in violation uh, of the sanctions. And I think that we'll see Aerobus and others, including Boeing, uh, reconsider because, in fact, those planes are not used for commercial purposes. Iran, to a large degree, is, is a bluff. You saw now that they deny that they're the ones who, who shot the missiles into into Israel, mm. even though Hezbollah right away said, it's not us, it's not us, and, and they, they're sort of blaming the Syrian army. But Israel's response to it was so effective, and hitting 50 sites simultaneously, I mean, much, almost all of the infrastructure of Iran was impacted, and they don't even know how to digest that now. It's not a great power in that sense. It is. It, it takes minimal amounts of money to spread terrorism, to, and and exploit weaknesses that they encounter, and if they would, and when they find the kind of determination that we saw this week, when they find terrorists generally, will back down. They because they're cowards by nature. That's why they're terrorists and not military fighters. And I think the the um, um, the point you make about about the, what has changed is that we now have Iran facing a new reality, the Europeans facing a new reality. They have to make choices now. And while they met with the Zarif this week and they again said they endorsed, they had, did not reach an agreement with him, the foreign minister of Iran, about what the nature of, uh, of any changes and stuff which they uh, claim that they want to see. We know that they're continuing to support Iran is supporting the whole network of terrorists who threatened them as well inside their countries in Europe, not just uh, outside in, in, in the Middle East. So, I, I mean, I think that the, the changes are just beginning, that you're going to see many, many more sanctions coming down, effective sanctions targeting hopefully the energy and banking sectors, uh, which will further cripple the economy of, uh, of Iran and uh, the people, I think, in Iran, the majority, are willing to accept these these uh, deprivations that are entailed with it. For one, they, they don't get to see the money anyway. It all goes to the Supreme Leader's House and the IRGC, who control 40 percent of the economy. Um, but they're willing to if it means that, they're, that they can bring about the prospect of a different situation in Iran. Finally, Malcolm, after many of us, you know, brushed up on our history of the Jerusalem Embassy Act and saw how important the congressional uh, uh, decision and vote was in, in getting this process started, even though it took 22 years, uh, there is a rumor out there, uh, at least in social media, that Congress or members of Congress are now considering 
recognizing Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, and maybe with the same results eventually, like the Jerusalem Embassy Act. Any truth to this rumor? There is truth to it, that there, there, that there are some people in Congress have uh, proposed an initiative like this. I, I don't know uh, that right now, given all that's going on... Uh, oh, I thought the opposite, that they're doing it dafka because of what's happening on the border and with Syria. They are. Uh, yes, exactly. But I'm saying to you, I don't know how others will respond ah, good point, because right. of the sensitivity of the moment. Right. Some are saying now's the moment to, to declare it because, you know, Israel's protecting it. And, there, you know, there was a U.N. resolution that called for Israel's withdrawal from Golan. Just think about what that would mean now under these circumstances if they withdrew and, and the Syrians and the other the militia, the, the 80,000 members of the Iran militias, the IRGC, all of the others would have access or be able to come close closer to the Israel, thank God, keeps a buffer zone and has given warnings and effectuated those warnings with very uh, incredible actions. Right. And, and you know, you saw quickly any of the people's comments about it, you know, dissipated in the, in the light of the Gaza developments. But you didn't see those attacks replicated in the north. You know, they did not incite Hezbollah and people in Lebanon to start challenging and doing the same thing. It is a danger that we may see it there. We may see it on the in the West Bank. We might see it from uh, other places where they will try to to replicate some of those uh, the marches and the challenges to Israel's borders and, and sovereignty. But it didn't happen. So the the I think that some who are proposing this, I, I wouldn't anticipate that it's going to happen very soon. I can't let. I know I'm totally behind schedule here. I, I just can't let you go without reminding everyone, especially before Yuntif, when there's going to be so many opportunities to sit with our children and grandchildren, friends and relatives, and people in the neighborhood, etc., and discuss this. Uh, you just people have to understand. It's sometimes difficult to see the forest from the trees when you're when you're living through it. But this week. You know, as I always say, our grandparents, our ancestors, those from hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, would have given anything for a week like this. And would, I would never believe. Tell somebody, Malcolm, tell your grandparents that they would have seen a day like this in a, in a, in a Jewish state of Israel that's now 70 years old. They never would have believed it. When the world tried to take it away, when the United Nations votes to take off the Jewish names and Christian names of the of all of our holy sites in Jerusalem, of the Kotel, the Harabais, the Kever Rachel, Rachel's tomb, the, the Cave of the Patriarchs, all of them, here comes the greatest power on earth and declares Jerusalem is the capital. The president goes to the Kotel and says this is a Jewish holy site and says to him that the whole world can dance around and, and stand on their heads. But this is a fact that is created, and the, and the celebration of Yerushalayim, and, you know, when we say L'Shana Hababa Yerushalayim, and we don't do anything, we don't say anything, then we haven't said it. That's what the Gemara teaches us. So the, the chance this week, and talk about the archaeological discoveries again this week, the amazing things that, that have come up that they can, which... Uh, all of which substantiate Tanakh, that the kids can see in tangible ways, that you can show them how every single discovery validates the biblical accounts by geography, by description, and uh, many more discoveries that are going to come out in the next weeks. Every one of them a remarkable reaffirmation. So at a time when we celebrate Matan Torah, when we reinforce our commitment to the Torah and, and the great heritage that we were given and privilege, got to prove it. And this is one way to do so. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos and Yontav. We'll speak again, Amir Tashem, next week. Thank you. Have a
Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays with the weekly update here at JM in the AM.